We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, welcome in another edition of the Good and Plenty podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Goodman, and uh, we got a great, great uh, show for you today that I think I've been waiting to do for weeks, and we haven't seen anything like it uh, over the last six weeks uh, since George Floyd's murder. And what I wanted to do was get a a, a few uh, very smart, very open college basketball players to talk about everything that has gone on, not just uh, with George Floyd's murder, but certainly in the aftermath. Um, with the protests in, within the, the pandemic, what it's been like for you guys, because we really haven't heard from, from you guys. I know, um, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get each one of you to kind of introduce yourselves now uh, a little bit and, and just kind of what it's been like uh, for each of you. We'll start with you, Scotty Lewis. Um, the last I saw of you, you were organizing uh, a march near your home in New Jersey and uh, in speaking um, to, I don't know, at least there are at least a few hundred people there. Um, so what, what was that like? And what has this been like for you over the last six weeks, Scotty? Um, <laughs> I kind of placed myself in a position to where people are, um, expecting me to do certain things. You know, this is not something that's new to me. Um, I've been, I've been involved with things like this since I was a sophomore in high school. So, the, the, you know, these conversations aren't new. Um, the things that I'm saying have been said before. Um, for me right now, it's it's a learning experience. I, I'm 20 years old and I'm being surrounded by so many people and so many different activists. And I'm learning new information every single day, um, which is extremely important for someone like myself who, you know, is a strong believer that we are people before players. And, um, you know, and everyone deserves a voice and we kind of have a platform to be able to use that. So, um, I think I speak for all of us when we say, you know, we're trying to use that to our best ability in order to, you know, give those people who feel silenced a voice. So, um, you know, that the protest that I had in Asbury Park, we had 2,500 people there. Um, and as it started to rain, we had even more people show up. And um, our message was just peace, love, positivity, you know. So um, that, that's how things around this time should be handled, along with um, education, which is extremely huge. Um but yeah, that, that's kind of me trying to get my foot in the water and um, surrounding myself with people who I can learn from and people that I can teach. When I 
thought about getting uh, a group of players together. Uh, one name kept coming up, and, and that was Nick Sherrods of Richmond. Uh, Fifth-year senior, you're a little bit older, you're a little bit wiser. Um, but everybody said, listen, you have to have Nick on. Um, why does this mean so much to you, Nick? And, and again, I'll ask you the same question I asked Scotty. What has it been like as a probably a 22-year-old uh, black man um, living, am I right, 22? 22. Yeah, what, what's it been like for you uh, watching all of this and, and obviously the racism that has, you know, that has taken place throughout um, life and, and kind of what it's been like over the last few weeks to bring it to the forefront? Um, yeah, it's been crazy. I think when all this stuff originally happened, I think that one of the biggest things that jumped out to me was just like the raw emotions of everybody that's involved. Um, I think that I talked to my parents a lot about things that have gone on and um, they talked a lot. They talked about the Rodney King riots a lot in Los Angeles and how that was like a turning point for them in terms of their awareness of social issues and stuff like that. And we had for me in my lifetime, I never really had a moment that I can necessarily point to and I say, I remember exactly where I was when this happened. Um, and things like that. And I remember exactly what I was doing when I found out about the murder. I remember where I was. I remember how I felt. And I think the past couple of weeks has been a big time of reflection for myself. Um, what am I doing? Um, how have I, where, how have I failed? How have I succeeded in trying to make everything better? Because at the end of the day, like we're all, our, our main job as, a pe- as people is to try to be the best version of ourselves that we can be. And especially at a time like this, I think there's a lot of anger and emotions and stuff like that. So I'm just trying to do the best I can to, uh, first and foremost, educate myself. I think to me, that's the biggest thing. Um, I think I've been learning so much over the past uh, six weeks, more, probably more about this type of stuff than I have up until this point in my life. Uh, and I've made a conscious effort to learn because I think a lot of times people expect you to just talk and, and expect you to just say something. And for me, I try to add value. If I'm going to say something, I want it to be valuable and be worthwhile. I just don't want to say anything. Um, so that's been the biggest thing for me, just trying to educate myself and trying to uh, remain positive, but also just learn as much as I can. You know, this obviously isn't just a black issue. This is a white issue. We know that. We know in order for things to change, we we have to change it. So, you know, I've developed a a relationship with Luca uh, over the last, you know, recently, really recently. But uh, we did a podcast recently, and and, and I called them on this, and I said, listen, zero pressure. If you're comfortable and you want to do this, I would love to have you. And uh, immediately, Luca's reaction I'm in. You tell me when, you tell me whatever day, whatever time I want to be a part of the change. And for me, that was great because I, I honestly wasn't sure how you were going to react, Luke. And, you know, maybe you were going to say, hey, you know what? I'm not sure I want to put myself out there because a lot of us want to help. We know that. I, I want to help in the worst way. But, yes, I'm not going to lie to you. I'm, I'm, I'm scared at times of saying the wrong thing or saying it the wrong way. Um, so, Luca, I appreciate you doing this. I know these guys appreciate you doing this and and why as a guy who grew up in DC and now goes to school in Iowa, I think you have probably an incredible perspective um, because those are two completely different worlds within our country, aren't they? Yeah, it it definitely is. And I've always been comfortable putting myself in in, difficult situations, uncomfortable uh, talks just because it puts me in a position to learn and educate myself and continue to learn you know, what I can do as a white man with white privilege uh, to be able to help and learn how I can use that in a way that, you know, could create change, could could, could do that. So I, I think I've always been open to that. Um, 
um, as, as just a person who's always tried to, to educate himself. And I think, you know, that part of that comes from where I grew up and, and being from DC and, and at the high school I went to it and everything just, you know, I was always around a culture of, of people who wanted to learn and we're all, you know, about peace, love and positivity. What Scotty was saying, I think that's just kind of where, how I grew up and, it, and it's definitely, you know, different coming from, you know, that type of situation, you know, to Iowa, which is, you know, obviously, you know, less, less diverse as a state, um, to, you know, where I was, you know, growing up and, and, and everything like that. But I think, you know, all, you know, the different situations I've been in have just helped me, you know, learn and continue to learn. And that's you know, something I'm always striving to do. Scotty, how, how can you, how can you be a part of the change? I'm sure you've thought about it. All you guys have, as have I over the last six weeks, and I'm trying to do it even now, right? Bringing your voices out there, having a conversation. How how have you felt that you can be a part of the change at 20 years old with a platform that you have as a college basketball player? Um, well, first, you know, a lot of people use the word change. I'm not a big fan of using that. Okay. You know, there's been a lot of change, um, some for the better and some for the worse. Good point. Uh, I prefer the word enrichment. <laughs> you know, so, um, and with that, things can only be propelling, you know, things can only be positive. Things can, things can always, can always be in the direction that's uphill, you know, for all people. Um, when I started this, you know, trying to be as candid as possible, I realized that I have to reach a bigger world that's outside of sports. You know, there's not a lot of respect for one, the education that athletes receive. Because um, we're perceived as people who just play a sport. You know, we only got to the place that we are because we play a sport. So I think it's it's really vital and important for us that, to understand that as athletes and as people who are viewed a certain way, we have to kind of kill that visual that is placed upon us and take ourselves out of, you know, that, that comfortability state of being, you know, in the sports world and remind people that we're still human beings. And, you know, and, and we have a say-so within these topics and we have a, we have, you know, we have a point of view, you know, we have the right to be able to speak up and talk about things that, you know, isn't about dunking a ball or throwing something, you know, 80 yards or, you know, doing something in 4.3 seconds. You know what I mean? I can, I can write and I can read and I can speak just as well as I can, you know, jump, you know, and it, we, it's crazy. The fact that we have to take ourselves out of, you know, our profession in order for people to listen or for all, or in order for us to have some kind of credibility. Um, and, and that comes with a lot of sacrifice, you know, and that's what it, there's not a, a whole lot of players who feel like they can be as candid as they want to be because they're so worried about, Oh, like if, if I talk about something that's political or talk about something that's not necessarily in my field, you know, I may lose some endorsements. I may lose some money. I might have a meeting with my GM or a meeting with my coaching staff that is going to hinder me because I'm talking about something that really matters. You know, it, it's, it's, it's so, so important to one educate ourselves. So when we're placed on a platform to where all lights are going to be on us, um, we're able to articulate and we're able to say things that genuinely matter and reach the eye in the voice of everyone. So it, it's, it's been a roller coaster. Uh, definitely. Um, but, you know, I think all of us are extremely prepared to come with what, um, you know, what happens, you know, with Colin Kaepernick, you know, I say it all the time, you know, I love his symbolism. I think he's someone who provides a lot of symbolism and he means well. Um, but it comes to a point to where that symbolism kind of goes out the window, 
you have to ask yourself, what are you doing? You know, you can set up marches and you can um, you can speak here and speak there and be a symbol for this state or, 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 or this sport. But outside of that, are you meeting with the people who can make change? Are you providing um, something for this group of people that, you know, another group of people don't have? You know, are you making actual steps and are you taking actual action in order to, you know, enrich something? So I, I think as athletes, we get in the zone of, you know, I have to be a symbol, you know, you know, accidentally. They, they, we become symbols automatically because that's the realm people put us in when we can actually put our foot into the, in, into communities and our, our foot into um, the actual part of the, of our universities and actually do something. I feel like you guys have power now and, and there's leverage where in the past, Scotty, and, and all you guys, there was a, a certain hesitation, especially as a college player, to speak, right? I mean, you can't speak because you're part of a college program and, you know, you have a sports information director and coaches where NBA guys can do whatever they want. But I feel like we've seen it lately, right? I mean, the old Miss running back um, vows that he's not going to play unless the Confederate symbol is removed from the flag. And what happens? Next thing you know, a ton of coaches down in Mississippi are marching and the, the, the symbol is, is removed from the flag. I mean, it, you do have power now. How much easier is it to speak up now, Nick? Like, is it, do you feel like that, you know, you, you've kind of got a weight lifted off your shoulders where now, all right, you know what? Other people are doing it. I know I can do it. And it's, I'm not going to get in trouble for doing it. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think that, you know, that there is a definitely a confidence level among athletes now, more even more so than when I got to college uh, five years ago um, to, to speak out. And I think that's really important. I think that I think we kind of take we took the, we took the mantle from some professional athletes. I feel like when we saw that they were doing it, we felt more comfortable doing it. And I also think we're starting to realize more as there's more literature and we can just we're not done. We can see what's going on. I think we realize like uh, these schools, these universities, this, these institutions, they need us. And I know a lot of times um, we're underrepresented, underrepresented as black people in, um, on campus compared to what we are in, in the athletic department. So I think that we realize these guys are using us um, for benefits and they're using us. They're putting us on billboards. They're, um, so they're sending our stuff to people. They're, they're selling our jerseys in the gift shop. We're not getting anything of that. So what can we do to, you know, help other people? Um, and, and just promote change and promote progress because I think that we have leverage as people that people are coming to see every day, you know, people are watching that we can talk about things that, you know, like Scotty said, that people are going to listen to us when we speak for better or for worse. And like the guy, the running back at um, Mississippi State did, you know, that was a big step because I'm from Richmond. I grew up in the Capital Confederacy. That's a big deal. Like a lot of people don't really understand like how big of a deal that is because we grow, we see it every day. We grow up with it. And I think more things like that, I know we're working to try to get, uh, an Africana studies department on campus and try to get some of the names of some of the buildings removed. Um, and I think power like that, we don't realize that we have that power, um, but it's, it's really important that we understand what we can do with what, with our platform that we have, especially as college athletes. Cause once that's gone for a lot of us, we're not going to be playing professionally. Our voice is going to be limited for right or wrong. It's going to be limited. Our voice is going to be different. You're probably not going to be asking for next round opinions in two <laughs> years the same way you would be now. So I think we have to understand that and, and really take advantage of that. Luca, what, what's it been like for you? I know your your team at Iowa is predominantly white, uh, but obviously you were back in D.C. for a good stretch of this. And, you know, I know you played at Team Takeover, um, which was very diverse. 
what's it been like for you as a white star player in college basketball in how your teammates or former teammates in AU or whatnot uh, have kind of uh, talked to you about the issue? I think, you know, especially with our program at the USAO, I think we did a really good job after the year. When, when all of this stuff happened, um, you know, we were doing regular team meetings every week and on Zoom and different stuff like that. But, you know, our coaches really wanted to make sure that we had conversations about this within our team. And, you know, obviously we are a predominantly white team, but we have, you know, we have black assistant coaches, we have black players, obviously. And, and, and giving, you know, just having a conversation with all of us and what we all can do, um, you know, to continue to, to help and, and, and do whatever we can to, you know, create, you know, and, and add enrichment uh, to, to, to use Scotty's word to, to what's going on. And I think, you know, listening to, you know, my, my fellow teammates and coaches and, 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 and at first it was just really, really eye opening. You know, we, we had, you know, uh, we had a coach, obviously I'm not going to say a name, but just sharing his, you know, he's recently a father and sharing his fear you know, with, with what happened and how he has to raise his son and, and in this and, and just have these conversations with his son about what's going on and what that's like for, for a black kid and, and for a black man, you know, with the police. And I think that was, you know, just very, you know, eye-opening to me and, and how emotional and open he was. And I think that just continued to to in, inspire me to have more conversations and educate myself. And as a, as a leader, you know, of our team, I wanted to be, to make sure that, you know, everyone on the team knew that, you know, I, I, I wanted to learn and wanted to educate myself. And then I was there for, you know, every one of my friends and teammates and coaches that, you know, obviously is, is going through something different than me, you know, with this, because it, you know, obviously it's harder, it's closer to home, obviously as a black person than, than a white person. And, and I think, um, you know, I was just really proud of our program for being able to do that. And, you know, obviously with, with, with team takeover, it's the same thing, you know, we, you know, I have friends everywhere and coaches everywhere, and I just wanted to, you know, show my, my support and my willingness to learn and, and, and everything like that. And I think, you know, that's what I can do. And, and, and obviously there's there's always something else I can do, and, and that's what I'm just, you know, willing to learn. Guys, were there experiences that you've had? I know, you again, you're 20 and 22, but, um, you know, I have a 16-year-old daughter. I don't have to worry about her going out and if she gets pulled over by the police or, or, or anything like that, I don't, it never has gone through my head, obviously. Um, How much did you guys worry about that and live that as you were growing up? Were there, were there actual experiences that you had that you would like to share that, that, that would show kind of the racial profiling um, that goes on throughout our country? Um, You got it, bro. Um, like I said, I think that um, my first, my parents they they talked to they talked to me about it a lot growing up about just how you act around police and how you are supposed to be, how you're supposed to carry yourself. And I think uh, I first know I think that one of the things my parents told me a lot was that they wanted me to carry myself and speak a certain way because they worried about how people were going to perceive me. And I didn't realize how important that was and almost how unfair that was that you have to like kind of change how you are and how you act because you're worried about how people, how white people are going to perceive you, how they're going to look at you if you speak a certain way. I remember when the Trayvon Martin stuff uh, happened, they told me, you can't wear your hood anymore. You can't walk around a certain way. You have to carry yourself. So I think um, even if you have even if you have instances where you are dealt with racism, I think that, you know, for me, speaking from my experience personally, I think that 
I was taught early how to handle it or how to carry myself so I wouldn't be put in those positions. So then when you are put in those positions, like when you're at a party and a bunch of people are saying the N-word, or I remember I, I went to a class, I was in the class and I was with uh, some students and they straight up told me, hey, you guys, you don't deserve to be here. You wouldn't have gotten in otherwise, all that stuff. Like that's real and that stuff happens. Um, so I, I know I've worked super hard to carry myself in a manner so that people respect me for more than that. But I think it's unfair that black people and athletes in general, they have to kind of change how they are. I think you should want to do that because you have to, because that's something you feel in your heart, not because you feel like you're pressured that a society won't accept you if you're not a certain, uh, carrying yourself in a certain manner. So I think that that's one of the things I, I think about often. It's just like, you know, how I talk, how I speak, how I walk around campus, how I look somebody in the eye, that stuff's important where I know other people, they don't necessarily have to think about in the same way that I would. True. Very true. I, no, I think you're, unfortunately, you're right. And, and we hate to admit that, um, but it is true. I mean, listen, I, I say it all the time about like Gronk in the NFL, right? If if that were a black player acting like Gronk, we might not think, there's a good chance we might not think he's this fun, happy-go-lucky guy that everybody likes. I don't know. Cam Newton, he's – I mean, he, yep. he, all he does is dance on the sideline and yep. kind of walks with the swagger. And he's this big, tall black guy and people are all talking and he can't get a shot in the NFL um, for, I mean, he's gotten hurt and all that stuff, but realistically he's a, he's a super talented quarterback, Colin Kaepernick took a knee, all that stuff. But yeah, you're right. Um, I think that a lot of times that you're held to a higher standard um, because of your skin color and everybody wants to be Russell Wilson. Not everybody's like that. Not everybody, you know, not everybody carries himself like that. Not everybody wants to be like that. Um, and Russell Wilson should be respected just as much as Cam Newton, just as much as Marshawn Lynch, just as much as any guy. Just you know what I'm saying? So yep. I think that everybody wants everybody to be this uh, suit and tie black guy, but like not everybody, not everybody's that person. Not everybody wants to be that guy. That's right. Scotty, have you right. had experiences? I mean, just to just to kind of add that, I think um, one of the most common things. Obviously, I went to the rainy school since eighth grade, uh, predominantly white school, uh, very 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 wealthy. You know, and I think some of those things that I had to deal with with the five years I was there was just the, the constant microaggressions. You know what I mean? Being someone who, like he said, like Nick said, you know, being able to talk and articulate and, um, you know, be open minded and, you know, walk tall and shake someone's hand and look them in the eye. You know, people are surprised when, you know, we have the ability to do that. It's more, and it's been countless times when I'm on Randy campus and people just say, you know, um, you, know you act different when you play. You know, it's like when you play, you have black Scotty, but when you're in school, you, you know, you talk very white and, you know, um, you listen to white music or you listen to black music as if you can place a label or a color on these things. And, you know, it's, it's very offensive and, and people don't even realize that they're doing it. People don't even realize that what they're saying is, 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 a, is a racial, you know, they're being racially insensitive and it, it happens to people all the time. You know, I grew up in Bronx, New York, you know, I can. There's definitely, you know, a, um, a difference um, in the way that I would hold myself, depending upon the setting that I'm in. Um, but, you know, both of those people are, are me, you know. Um, when I'm at home, I definitely have to feel like I'm more comfortable. And when I'm in other settings, um, I feel like I have to talk a certain way, carry myself a certain way, because I don't want to be viewed um, differently or, or viewed as if I'm something that I'm, you know, that I, that I could be. You know, so all these microaggressions that happen all the time. And one of the most common things as far as like the, the culture barrier goes is like music in the Randy school. You know, I would go to a party, like Nick said, and you hear the word and 
um, I, I first confronted someone about it my sophomore year of high school. And, you know, I'm like, you know, you're really not allowed to say that, whether it's in a song or not. And she went to go on and say, like, you know, it's part of the song or, um, you know, if, if they're allowed to say the music, why can I say it if I'm rapping it? And, you know, it's that's that's a point of education that we're trying to, you know, talk about. You know, and I tried to explain to her, and I understood at a young age, just that's just something that you grow up knowing. You know, the music that's created by by African-American rappers is, you know, they're speaking to people who can empathize with them. You know, it, it's okay for you to be able to sympathize with someone or sympathize with the music, but you will never be able to empathize with what the, what the words mean. So that's why you're not allowed to say it within music or in any other scenario. You know, and I had to break that down. And, and once, you know, I kind of gave a lesson in a matter of 10 minutes in the middle of a party, you know, I never heard her say the word again. And she's actually a close friend of mine. Really? You know, so people have to educate themselves. People have to know what's wrong and what's right and why it's wrong and why it's right. When most people try to lose weight, they think exercise. Whether they actually start exercising or not, the results are normally the same either way. I say the same because losing weight is all about nutrition. With Awaken 180 Weight Loss, you'll receive a customized nutrition plan, weekly one-on-one coaching, and the option to receive 80% of your daily foods to help you lose weight your first week and each week after until you're down to your ideal weight. During your weight loss transformation, you'll be getting the tools to know what and how to eat so you can keep that weight off for the long term. As always, Awaken 180 will provide you free support for life. It's worked for Cedric Maxwell, Scott Zolak, Kyle Draper, Andy Gresh, and thousands of others. Now it's your turn. Call the long-term solution for weight loss in the official weight loss program of the Boston Red Sox. Awaken 180 Weight Loss Online. Listen, I'm Jewish, and, uh, and I'm embarrassed to say this, but at times people have made remarks about Jewish people being cheap or whatever. I mean, that's the, the one you get the most, right? Cheap Jew, and I haven't said anything when I was younger. And now I'm like, screw that. Like, I don't give a shit now. Like, somebody's going to say it, and, and I put it out there. Like, I don't care. But but the difference, obviously, is, you know, as a Jewish man, I can hide. Like, I can hide it. You you guys can't hide it. You know, it, it there's nothing you can do when the police see you. They don't know I'm Jewish. Um, so it's a big difference. But I, I guess what I'm trying to say is is, again, I mean, um, it, it's something where you're right. You're trying to educate people. And I wasn't comfortable enough when I was younger to be able to educate people. And I think with everything that's happened over the last six weeks or so, it's the one real positive I think we can take from it all is that it's out there now. There's no hiding. The, the white people that are out there saying shit, they're out there on video. And you know what? I'm retweeting them. Everybody's retweeting them. The craziest part, guys, is so, you know, I've been pretty active over the last six weeks in, in making my position known, whether it's, a, um, you know, inequality within black coaches or obviously uh, systemic racism, whatever. And, and I think I've lost three or four thousand Twitter followers and I don't give a shit, obviously, but it's just comical to me. It's comical that that's what happens when you're honest People don't want to hear it. Some people, you're not going to change them. You're just not. But I think what we have to focus on is changing your generation, my generation. I'm older, obviously. We know that. But there's still hope for my generation. 
I, I think, you know, my parents' generation, that might be a little bit more difficult. But your generation, for sure. I mean, we can hopefully we can change this. And I think, unfortunately, it is something that is passed down so many times from generationally, right? You learn from your parents a lot of times. That's not to say you're going to do what your parents do. There's a lot of people that understand, hey, you know what? I don't want to be like that. I don't want to do what they do. Um, what what have been, and anybody can jump in here, what have been the biggest differences, and I know not all of you are on campus, but you're having these Zoom calls with your coaches, with people in administration. What are they going to do? Once you get back to campus, what's the plan to try to, um, as Scotty said, and I'm going to try to use this word more, like Luca did, enrich rather than change? Um. I think, I mean, for the school that I go to, you know, our, our, our entire, the arena that I play in, you know, um, Stephen O'Connell was an extremely open racist. So really, and, yeah, oh, I didn't know that. So, and it's, it's the same with Rupp arena at Kentucky. And it's the same for a lot of other arenas yep. that, you know, these college athletes in, in college sports have played. So um, I'm not really sure where, where, where history is made. And there's not really much that, you know, I'm not really sure like, what what can be done. It's not that you can change the curriculum and try to, you know, and, and have more, you know, culture geared classes to where people are learning about certain things. I know as far as like our 14 guys and, you know, our, our 10 people on our staff, we're having tough conversations all the time. You know, we added, we added. I think four more white people to our team than we had last year. And, you know, they're, they're getting in on the, on the conversations and they're giving their point of views and how they see it. And coach white has done a terrific job of just making sure that we're all um, having these conversations and we're all trying to speak our minds and we're listening to each other. We're trying to find ways that, you know, as a program, we can uh, give our message in the most positive way that uh, not only suits us as players and as people, but as, you know, um, an organization that represents an institution. Nick, how, how do you – have you talked to your teammates? Is there something that you guys can do, are going to do? I mean, Scotty just said, hey, o- O'Connell Center named after somebody who's racist. I, I, I mean, going through my head at that point, I'm saying to myself, well, are, are you guys going to do something to try to change that? I, you guys, as I said earlier, you all have leverage. You all have power now. I think you realize that from some of the things that have happened from at Ole Miss to uh, at Oklahoma State, with their football program. So what, if anything, Nick, have you guys talked about potentially doing when you, when, when you get back uh, to campus and on the court? Um, I think the biggest thing, first, uh, we're all looking at ourselves individually and trying to figure out, like, what are the best ways as people that we can move forward? And I think I talked about this a little bit uh, with people, and I think the biggest thing, as basketball players, as black athletes on campus, we have the privilege of not necessarily have to deal we don't have to deal with our blackness in the same ways that regular non-student athletes have to deal with their blackness. When we walk, when we're on, uh, when we go to a game, all the students there are white, all the fans there are white. We're accepted places that, you know, a lot of times our black peers just wouldn't, would never be accepted into. Even in terms of our voice, even if people disagree with us, they're much more likely to listen to us than they would somebody else. So I think the biggest thing is we have to be more present for the black students on our campus as, as basketball players, as people that uh, people are looking to. I think that, one of the biggest failures for me as a leader and as a team is that we don't really support the black students as much as we should. 
I think that, you know, if they're having something, we don't go to it. They're doing something we're not necessarily involved. And I think that's the biggest thing. I think first we have to help our help. We have to help, you know, the students out because at the end of the day, I feel super comfortable not speaking on some things, but I think one of the biggest things that we can do is lift up the voices of the black students that are doing the real work on our campuses. Um, like I said, I'm trying to help a group of students have tried to start an Africana studies program. We don't have that major on our campus and they've kind of gotten shunned by administration. Um, the school's kind of been like, we don't really need this. And I'm trying to help, trying to get Coach Mooney involved, trying to get people involved because like I said, like, I can if I I can go through my five or my four years and then this year and I can never uh, go to a black party, never go to a black event and nobody will question me because they don't even necessarily look at me like that when I'm playing basketball. Um, so I have to be able I and I've challenged my teammates. You have to be able to strip yourself from that. As an athlete, you can't just look at yourself as a black athlete. You have to look at yourself as a black person. And what are we doing in the classroom every day to uplift voices in the community, uplift voices? We can't just be comfortable being this popular person on our campuses in the community, we have to do a better job of making ourselves uncomfortable to make everybody else comfortable. And I think that's the biggest thing that I've learned and I've been trying to do is, yes, we can get the statues removed and we can get the names and the Robbins Center, uh, E. Clubber Robbins has a very complicated history. All that stuff is great. We're not doing things to actually help our people and help people that aren't as fortunate as us and don't have the privilege that we do. Then what are we really doing? Are we just, are we just making... Um, Surface level changes, or are we trying to get deeper than that? And that's the question that we have to answer, and that's what I'm trying to get people to think about. Look, uh, if you come back, nobody's going to have a bigger voice than you in college basketball. I mean, I I said you were the player of the year, for, in my opinion, last year. I made that known. I know Obi won it. Uh, I gave it to you. I was in the minority there, but I gave it to you. Uh, but, it, but you're going to have that voice. You come back, listen – Everybody's going to be paying attention to whatever you're doing on and off the court. What have you thought about how you can use that? Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, going back to what I said about our, our team, you know, dialogues, I think, you know, the priority for our team is just to continue to have conversations and different stuff like that. But we also have had, you know, talks about what we could do, you know, as a team, as a unit. Uh, you know, I think the biggest thing for us, you know, when we were talking about it, is that we don't want it to be, you know, two guys do something or whatever the case may be. We need it to be a whole group effort as a team, you know, standing for the university because obviously, you know, we, you know, have a platform as a team that represents, you know, uh, you know, the institution uh, to, to, you know, to, you know, make a statement. And I think we've, we've went through different things. And I think once we get, you know, a little bit closer to the season and, and whatever the case may be, we'll decide on some things. But, you know, there's been ideas that have been floating around, you know, whether that be, you know, patches on the jerseys or, you know, you know, whatever the case may be, kneeling, or, or anything. You know, we, we've talked about it and, you know, making sure that, you know, we're not just doing something that, you know, there's action behind it and, and whatever the case may be. So, you know, we've had those conversations, you know, nothing has been decided yet. Obviously, we're, you know, far away from basketball season um, in general, but I think just the priority right now for our team is just continued conversations. And I think, you know, that's something that, you know, we've seen, especially with our football program and what they're going through, you know, with, with, with the racial adversity that happened with, you know, the strength coach that was fired because of his remarks and, you know, all these players coming out and finally using their voice to show, you know, um, you know, our, 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 our college football players aren't allowed to use Twitter, but now, you know, the guys who are the alums, the guys who had already graduated or transferred, you know, started coming out and, and saying what they had to say about how uncomfortable they were in their years at Iowa being in that in the football building, whatever the case may be, and they use their voice to, you know, 
um, to do something. And they, and they, you know, the football program, you know, from what I hear now from, you know, other team, other guys on the team is just, they're really making steps in the right direction, having more conversations to make sure that their black players are comfortable in, in that building. Cause obviously, you know, for us looking at them, you know, the football building is separated from the basketball building. So we have no idea what they're going through. So hearing all of this was, you know, shocking. And, uh, you know, especially, you know, knowing some of the coaches on the, on the football staff and, you know, you, you, you know, you don't really know everything about somebody. So I think, um, you know, I think Co- coach France is a really good leader in, in that you know building, but, you know, we, we, those continued conversations that they're starting to have is going to be really beneficial for, you know, our program and university. How, how worried are you guys that a year from now, um, we're not going to be talking about this, that it, that it, that it's going to go away. That right now, obviously, there's momentum. There's a lot of people talking about it because it's fresh. It's like anything, right? I mean, this has certainly been a lot better than in the past. Rodney King, is, as you referred to, Nick, and some other um, some other incidents. But how, how concerned are you that a year from now, we're not going to be at a place where you guys are going to be uh, happy with the – with the enrichment, with the, the the fact that it's it's moved uphill and gotten better and sustained um, that that type of, of, of change, I guess, for better lack of a better word. I mean, for for me, um, something that really makes me hopeful is when I go to these protests and um, I look into the crowd. I see people who are not of color holding up signs that say "Black Lives Matter" or. Um, people from the LGBTQ community adding the black and white, I mean, the black and brown stripe to their flag. Um, you know, it's reaching out. And like you said, it's, it's, um, it's expanding, you know, the word is being heard and um, this is the loudest that we've been in a very long time. And I don't think that momentum is going to really die down. I think from a, from a social media aspect is died down. Um, obviously all of us are seeing less and less black lives matter on our, on our, on our feeds. Sure. Um, but I think, like like Nick said, you know, having um, deeper level changes instead of surface level changes, I think those things are happening um, not only in the sports world but all around. And I don't think that's something that is going to stop. I think the bigger changes that that we try to make and the bigger forms of enrichment that we try to um, you know um, bring emphasis to, I think there's no way that people can you know have a blind eye unless they you know, have, they're in an environment where people around them or just like them, you know, close-minded and really locked in and have a set mind on something, you know, I, I mean, speaking for myself and that I, I think these guys as well, I think we're all willing to take those steps in order to, you know, do what needs to be done in order for enrichment to actually occur, you know, not for now or not for later, but, you know, for forever after, even when we're gone, you know, this is not a problem. That's, that's a present thing. This has been happening before us. Um, it's happening during our time, and it's going to happen after. Um, you know, I think it's, it's it's up to us to be able to leave a mark that is going to carry on to you know future athletes and and, and future young people and you know future generations. And um, hopefully, you know, the, the little the more love that we can have in the world, um, I think the less hate will be created. So I think the more that we can put out some stuff, um, the better. You know, and. You know, it, it sucks that I'm seeing less and less on my newsfeed for my social media accounts, but um, there's still a lot of people behind the scenes who are doing a lot, a lot of work in order to make sure that um, this is not a symbol 
And this is not something that's just going to pass over. Um, this is something that's going to, you know, last a really long time and have an actual impact. It's so hard for me, guys, because the country, at a time when we need the country to be unified, it's so divisive, right? And I, I think it starts from the top. I don't want to get into politics or any of that here. It's probably not the time or the place, but uh, it starts at the top. I mean, it does. Yeah, it probably is the time or the place, but that would be another hour, Scotty. We'd have to add another hour onto this thing, which we don't have because uh, I, I know you guys got things to do. Um, but I do. I, I feel like that's the hardest part of this right now. There's so much divisiveness. And, you know, well, like you said, Scotty, you look out in the crowd and you see a lot of, of white people that are supporting you guys. Uh, and there are. But then there's there's so many other people out there that just aren't going to get on board no matter what. Um, Nick, are you? Are you are you concerned that that it's going to go back to kind of where we were six weeks ago before that, and people are going to forget, or no? Um, I think anytime something like this happens, you're always a little bit concerned. I think that one of the the thing one of the things I think that made these this events so intense was the fact that everybody was inside for all this amount of time, so there was a lot of passion. Everybody wanted to go outside um, and all that stuff, and I think that's important. So I think that that when people can start going back outside and there's distractions and they can start being other things. I think that it's on us to make sure that, that we keep the momentum going. I think that like what you were saying earlier, I think that maybe the youthful energy that we can bring that our generation can bring can make sure that this stuff doesn't go away. And if it does, and if people are starting to feel like things are dying down, like it's on us to make sure that things get better. And like at the same time, like, we, we have to make sure that pressure on our universities, on our cities, on our on places like that, so that change is going to continue to happen. I think that's super important to make sure that we're continuing to put pressure on everybody to make the change that we want to see happen. And I think that you know we we can't let this momentum we can't let this moment pass. And I think I'm going to steal Bomani Jones. He actually tweeted. He said one of the biggest things that came from this is that we started ignoring the loud racists in the room, and that instead of focusing so much on the loud people that the loud minority of people that wanted things to stay the same, we started to focus more on the people that actually want to make change. And I think that when we can start going back outside, when things are going to feel more normal, we have to make sure that we continue to ignore the people that aren't trying to help us, that are being loud. And that, you know, sometimes we let the loudest person in the room have the most impact. We can't let that continue to be the case. And if the loudest person in the room is going to have the most impact, that has to be us. It has to be the people that are trying to make the best things happen. So I think that, it's on us to make sure that the momentum keeps going. If it doesn't keep going, then it's our fault. It's nobody else's. We can't blame other people for that because we let the ball drop. Things don't continue to move forward. There's no shortage of action going on right now at our exclusive partner, Bet Online. Sports making its way back. UFC, NASCAR, soccer obviously leading the way. Uh, Bet Online has all the best odds and lines for the upcoming matches this weekend. We've also got NBA Futures. The Lakers checking in at the favorite, slight favorite over the Clippers at plus 225. Uh, Clips are plus 300. How about the Bucks right behind at plus 325? And, uh, yes, I'm not a homer, but I like the Celtics at plus 1,200. The Rockets also at plus 1,200. And then Toronto and the Sixers, kind of the wild card there at plus 2,800. Uh, need more? Bet Online has simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC happening every day live for you to check out. Looking for something else other than sports? Bet online is hundreds of live casino games, poker tournaments, and all the best props in the business. 
Visit betonline.ag or use your mobile device and join now to receive your new welcome bonus and start playing today. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. On, on the political, I'm just going to ask you guys this, the, the, the voting part of it, um, there's a strong push to, to have November 3rd election day completely off where you guys can't do anything. I don't think the NCAA has said it's official, but they basically suggested it. And a lot of schools have done that. Um, have all you guys schools said you won't be doing anything November 3rd? Have they done anything for to educate you guys more on, on voting? Have you already uh, registered? Where, where are you guys at in this? Start with you, Luca. Definitely. Um, I think, you know, the Big Ten did a great job. You know, they sent out a survey to, you know, a lot of guys and they, you know, they were distributed out, you know, through, you know, Connor McCaffrey sent it to the whole team. And, and it was a survey that kind of just asked you, you know, are you registered? You know, I wasn't, uh, you know, able to vote, you know, the last election. So um, it asked me, you know, the steps of registration, which honestly I, you know, wasn't aware of and I didn't know. So it was, it was good for me to just get, you know, educated because obviously, you know, I want to vote and, and do my part. Um, but I think, you know, that was that was a great job in the Big Ten and, and as well as our university. And I'm sure, you know, obviously we haven't said anything, but you know, I'm pretty sure we'll, we will be off, uh, you know, uh, for that for that day to be able to vote. Um, I think that's important to our to you know our coaches and our staff as well as you know our university and the NCAA. Yeah, I mean the good thing is you guys all have high character coaches that I think I understand that. And it is something where if you haven't voted before, honestly you don't know what to do. And it's easy. It's yeah. so easy to do. Uh but but again until you've done it, you don't know what to do. I mean it, it's so ridiculously easy that you can walk in and I did it here where I live uh, in Newburyport, Massachusetts, last time. You don't even have to show ID. That's the craziest part, guys, is literally you can walk in. I, I don't understand it. it, it it's kind of ridiculous to me, but you can literally walk in, not show ID, and, and vote. It's stupid. Um, I mean, I can, I can speak to this a little bit more because I was on the college campus during the last election, and I yeah. was able to vote during the last election. I didn't vote, um, but I can speak to, like – Talk about like an introduction to college your first semester, that election. It was one of the most crazy things ever. And like, like you hear about like how crazy college kids are about like that kind of stuff and how angry they can be. I can remember sitting in a classroom the day after the election and I had a professor cry about how the election went. Really? Um, I remember I was. I didn't teach you cry. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Like, I, again, I, I couldn't believe it. And it was one of the, I remember speaking to people who were surprised about the election. And I think one of the craziest things is like, as a black person, you don't necessarily get surprised when that, when racist stuff happens in the country and everybody was super surprised about the election. Obviously Hillary won by having many votes or whatever, but the electoral college or whatever. So I think being on campus and being able to vote during the first, during the last election and understanding the stakes for this one makes it so much more important that we make sure that as athletes and as the NCAA, they make that a priority because like I said, in 2016, it was one of the most craziest things I've ever been a part of that the day after the election, election night. So if we don't want something like that to happen again, we have to make sure that we do our part. Has sure. it changed for you, Scotty, where, where maybe a couple months ago voting wasn't such a priority or, or has it been for a while now? Um, I mean, ever since I was able to vote, I, I've, I've been making it a priority. Um, when I was a freshman in 2016. In high school, so I didn't have the ability to. But I actually, I have a lot of, um, you know, Muslim people in my school, and I'm really close with those people. And we had a big 
kind of uh, town hall meeting. And when you look around, you see people crying because, um, you know, Trump was elected. And, you know, I, re- I really wasn't into politics at the time. Um, but, you know, after I, I saw something like that and I was visually a part of it, um, that's when I really started being a part of politics. It's actually my major now in college. Um, so it's, it's, it's not really like the, it's not that people think that like Trump is racist or that his administration, the people that he hired, um, you know, try to justify his racism or the case may be. It's the impact that he's has on the people who were in closet racist. They felt empowered and now they feel like they have, you know, the right and kind of the balls to be able to be open racist, not behind closed doors, but in public. You know, they're like, Trump is my president. So, you know, I'm allowed to say what I want to say, do what I want to do and act the way I want to act. You know, it, one of the one of the few things that happened within five months of his president, his presidency, there were three there are three men who um I forgot who it was. They beat down um, this black guy somewhere. And Donald Trump was asked about the question. This is in 2016. And he says, um, he says, I can't be mad at these people for, for, um, for, what did he say? I forgot the words that he used, but he basically justified their actions, called them gentlemen, and says that he cannot do anything about the situation. And after that, that's when, you know, people knew that they were going to be comfortable and fine saying and doing as they please you know what i mean and you have all these bigot um ignorant really you know loosely educated people um using you know their president as a way to be violent and and a way to be bigot and a way to be you know use their freedom of speech in the most negative way possible and you know it's it's not okay you know i've never like we know Trump is racist. That's not something that needs to be said. Um, it, it's it's evident. You know, he's okay with um, people thinking that he is. He's, you know, he's not someone who will openly deny it. He kind of beats around the bush and doesn't really, you know, answer the questions when things are directed towards him. Um, having watched him for the last, you know, I'm 20 now. So since 2016, last, you know, four years now, it's 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 crazy to watch his growth and how he's really gotten smart in wording certain things to make himself seem something that he's not. It's amazing, um, it's amazing to watch him on Twitter, guys. That that's the craziest part to me is that our president is out there saying some of the things he's saying about people and yeah. acting like he's a twelve-year-old on Twitter. Like, I, I just, I don't understand that. I don't understand how that can be good for our country, for anybody. Again, I go back to it. It makes our country divisive, right? I mean, it just does. Like, act like an adult. Act like an adult, and maybe other people will learn from you. Because that's what they do. I mean, listen, there are plenty of kids that are watching him and saying, if he acts that way, I can act act, act that way. It's the same thing with, like, bar stool guys, right? Bar stool. I'm I'm an old school journalist. I'm an old school. Now I can be an idiot. We know that. If you follow me on Twitter, you know I can be an idiot. I love to have fun, but I'm an old school journalist. But now you got Barstool and kids your age. I don't want to call you kids because you're not kids, but but you know what I'm saying guys uh, your age in your generation love the new kind of Barstool journalism, and I can't wrap my head around it. I can't. 
I just I don't get it. I don't get the allure of of what it gives you other than some entertainment value, I guess. But, you know, again, some of the things they say about women, like, I, I know I'm not buying it. I don't like it. But if I go against it, if I comment against it, oh, man, I did it once. It's like the world is coming at you. So it's like, you know, again, it, it it's so hard to navigate what's going on in our country right now. Uh, but but I do love the fact that um, people are, are paying attention right now um, to how black people have been treated for so long and standing up for you. I, I think there's enough of us that are passionate about it that are saying enough's enough. And I hope you guys feel that. I hope you guys feel that, again, you said it, Scotty, when you looked out in the crowd. Listen, there's going to be some people you can't, I can't, Luca can't change their their mind. We just can't. But if we can change as many as we can, right, if we can make life better for you guys and then for your kids, I think that's what it's, that's what it's all about for me is, is educating and being educated and learning and being more comfortable. Uh, that's why I love hearing this stuff from you guys. Like, it's great hearing it. It's great hearing, you know, three college guys who I'm telling you wouldn't have been comfortable coming out. If I had asked you to do this eight weeks ago, I'm telling you, all three of you would have been like, nah, maybe Scotty might have. But but, but even you, Scotty, would have been like, you know, I got to run it by this, you know, I got to run it by Florida sports information and whatnot. I I think, I think it's changed. I think times are changing. And and I think again, for the better, uh, certainly. And I, you know, the last thing I want to hit you guys on is, is black coaches in college basketball, because Mm -hmm. it's something that's passionate for me. And it's funny, all three of you play for a white head coach. Um, there are only about 25% of, of black coaches, uh, non-HBCU, um, that are black right now. And I think it's ridiculous because you've got almost 60% assistant coaches that are black. So the numbers, the correlation is just not there. And, and the big reason for me is higher up, the ADs. The people that are making the decisions to hire coaches uh, are not of color. Most of them are white. Most of them look like me. And then you got search firm people that I've said suck anyway. Uh, they hate me for saying it, but it's true. They stink. They don't know what they're doing, a lot of them. And they're all white. Every one of them. Every one of them. So uh, how much have you guys paid attention to that? And how much when when you guys were choosing – to play college basketball, did that figure in at all? Were you were you thinking, hey, you know what, I'd like to play for a black head coach if I could, or or, or did that never figure in the equation? I mean, for me, it was uh, it was something my mom wanted really to have, um, you know, a, a black head coach, um, but she felt extremely comfortable with Coach White. Um, you know, Coach, all of Coach White's assistants are all, you know, all black. You know, um, one of seven staffs in America, by the way, one of seven staffs in America in which it's a white head coach with all three assistants are black, by the way, Florida. No, I, I didn't know that. But, you know, Coach White, he's really, you know, he really is serious about, you know, what's going on. 
And he talked about, you know, in a, in a conference call that we had with um, our administration, yeah, he talked about how um, when he, you know, if you listen to the commentators during our games and he, when, you know, when Dusty May left to go to the um, to FAU yeah. and he lost, you know, part of his coaching staff, uh, they were like, you know, who's going to be his X and O's guys, he said. <laughs> You know, as, as if as if like his black assistants weren't smart enough right. to be able to create plays and create you know certain schemes in order to score or play defense, and you know um, even after Dusty May left, we were still a top ten defense in the country. You know, top ten in you know fast break points, um, and you know we were we were higher up in a lot of things in college basketball. So you know, Coach White's looking around. He said, and he's like, you know, what the hell are people talking about? You know, he, that's not something that he's looking for. He trusts these guys, and he hired these guys for a purpose, um, not because, you know, the color of their skin, but because, you know, their minds and their ability to coach basketball. And that, that, was, one of the, that was one of the things that he constantly hears all the time as, you know, as a white head coach with, you know, an all-black assistant. You know what I mean? Well, his dad, you know, uh, Kevin White, yeah. I believe was on the Black Coaches Association, the only uh, white person to have ever been on it. That's what somebody told me. I can't confirm it but I'm pretty sure that's accurate. And um, I looked at, we did a, we did a deal of ADs and, uh, and hirings and the diversity among the white family of hiring black, whether it's head coaches, whether it's assistants is, is probably as good as any um, in the, in the entire country. And I'm with you, like Mike White, you're picking a coach for a guy that can make you better. But I was just curious, like how much Nick, if, if you're choosing a school, you know, does that play in? Should it play in? Um, well, first, I think I want to speak to the black coaches and black hiring. And I think this probably speaks to a lot of the problems that we're having in America. I think that a lot of times people are willing to exploit black culture and black work and black profit, but not willing to give them positions of power. I think that in order for things to move forward, I think this is one of the hardest parts about white privilege and privilege in general is that, there's going to like, if we want things to move forward, a lot of white people are going to have to give up their positions of power. And like, are they willing to do that for the greater good? Is it, like you said, is it AD willing to go outside of his comfort zone and hire a black coach that's just as qualified or might be more qualified? Is he going to be willing to give that coach five years to build a program up? Or I remember I was actually being recruited by Virginia Tech um, and I, by James Johnson my sophomore year. Or I think that's his name. I was gonna, I was gonna go there. And obviously, Buzz Williams did a great job in Virginia Tech and all that stuff. But James Johnson was fired after two years. Um, Virginia Tech wasn't that great the first two years under Buzz Williams either. You know what I mean? But they gave him a lot of time to to get that thing going. And I think that that speaks to a lot of the problems that you see, not just in on college, but in professional levels as too. You're not willing to give these guys the rope to build a program the way they see fit. You're always after the next hot thing again. That, that's not saying that Buzz Williams or any other coach, white coach in the country is not a good coach or is a bad coach. But at the same time, are you, like, is AD willing to give a black coach, let him be the face of the program, and when things get bad, is he willing to let him work through that in the way that he wouldn't let a white coach do that? So I think that, again, for things to move forward, not just in sports but in life, a lot of white people are going to have to give up some positions of power that they may feel they work super hard for. But you can see it in – I mean, you can speak to it with, in newsrooms and journalism, all that stuff. I originally went to college to be a, to major in journalism. And when I went to my first journalism class, I was like, man, I, I can't do this. Like, there's nobody here that even that looks like me. There's nobody that talks like me. Like, I can't be in this. Um, 
And so I think that, again, like people are going to have to be willing to do things that are uncomfortable. As far as playing for a black coach, um, I, it wasn't that much of a consideration. Probably maybe should have been more. I, I, I love Coach Mooney. I have a lot of respect for Coach Mooney. Um, at the time um, when they recruited me, there were two other black coaches on the staff. Um, actually, the third one was coming in. So, I mean, it was it was a good staff. But at the same time, I don't think that was a big consideration. Um, but, again, I just think that if, as far as coaching and stuff like that, um, Again, I think that ADs and all that stuff, they have to they have to push themselves to hire these qualified. There's, like you said, 60% um, of assistants are black. Like, there's no reason that more, especially if they're going to be coaching a lot of black people. You can't um, – Razier Bolton from Penn State, right? He's from Virginia. I know him. I've known him for a long time. Like, are you telling me that would happen if that was a black coach? Like, I doubt it. And not saying that Chambers is a bad coach or anything, but you can't, like, say you want to relate to these players if you're not going to give – the people that are going to relate to the most, the biggest, the most opportunities. So what, what do you think of, of the whole Pat Chambers, Rasir Bolton? You know, do you think he should be fired? I mean, I, listen, I've known Pat Chambers. I don't necessarily think he's a racist. I, I don't know, right? I don't know him well enough to be able to say that. Um, certainly it was a racist comment. Okay. How do you, how do you guys view it? Um, because I, I have a hard time with this one. I, I don't know, you know, is he a guy that you just fire based on on that one comment? Or to me, I think what I would do is if I'm the athletic director, I'm going to talk to every damn kid that played for him, former, current, and find out the climate and try to figure it out. Were there more issues um, or was this a one-off completely and, and was this a mistake? So, like, I have, I have like – my feeling is just like, and we, this is similar to when, like, as you see with admissions and stuff in colleges, like how, like, if they find a guy, like, a prospective student who treats something racist, they kick him out of school and stuff like that. And I think that, like, like, yes, that's cool, but at the same time, like, how did that happen in the first place? And speaking to the black coaches thing, and again, maybe, maybe you'll cut this out. I don't want to like bash Pat Chambers, but like, he's been at Penn State, what, 14 years? And they have, and they, no, eight. Chambers has been there eight years. First eight years, they didn't go to the tournament and he got it. He got a knife. Got a knife. Right. Um, you're telling me if a black coach is in that situation, that would be gone. He's gone. He never makes it nine years. Agree. Never. No job. I mean, I read you guys the stuff. Every year, Pat Chambers on the hot seat. And every year. I know Razier and I know he's a great kid and all that stuff. And just like, the fact that that the fact that a kid would feel so uncomfortable, like you, see, I mean, Luke, Luke can talk about this at um, Iowa. Um, the strength field got fired. Like Pat Chambers, is a, I'm sure he's a great coach, and you you speak uh, from what you know highly. But like, I don't think that can fly. And like, I think that you know, and it's not like he's. It's not like this is like Coach K or like something like that. You know what I mean? Like, right, you know, right, agreed, agreed. I and listen, the words. Like, it just – I just couldn't believe it. Like, I've never heard those words used in that context. Like, how do you use those words that way? I mean, that's not coach speak either. Like, I mean, we've probably all heard some things from our coaches that we would be like, wow, that's that's nuts. And, like, like I've watched coaches on the sideline. I'm like, that's crazy. I've never heard anybody say – like, Coach Mooney said some of the wildest stuff I've ever heard in my life. But, like, nothing that I would be – that offended me as a person. You know what I'm saying? And I think that's the difference. Like, you can, you people have opinions about coaches and how they talk to players and all that stuff. That's a line that shouldn't be crossed. Scotty, what did you think when you, when you read that whole, I assume you read it all with Rasir Bolton and, and Pat Chambers? What were your thoughts? 
Actually, I have not read it. You haven't? I, I haven't. I haven't been really. I've been, as far as like politics and like everything that's pretty much going on, I've taken myself out of, besides me working out as much as I do every day, I've taken myself out of like the sports realm and strictly been doing stuff within my community. So I haven't really heard, you know, I'm kind of in the dark about it. You want to give them the, the background of it, Nick? You're probably more more adept at it than I am, uh, knowing Rasir. Or, or or maybe you should just read it read it on your own, Scotty. And uh, I, mean, I, I really want to know. This. Huh? I really want to know. I was, Go ahead, I Nick. Know. You want to give them the, the, the Cliff Notes version? Yeah, so uh, Rasir transferred uh, last year from Penn State. He had a really good year. I know we were in the same AU program, and we were all trying to figure out why he leave. It seemed like he was playing a lot, all that stuff. Um, especially in the way where people are transferring now, like you never really know like why people are leaving. Well, I think two days ago he said he came out and uh, Coach Chambers made a comment about like I can't I don't know the exact words. It was something about like a noose, like something about noose around like, your loosen the noose around your neck, or you know, neck. in terms of the pressure. He was right. trying to talk about the pressure he was dealing with, and he said you, you know loosen the noose around your neck. It was a very 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 Poor use of and I, and Razier didn't really feel supported by the administration when he went to talk to people, so he decided to leave and he just came out and talked about his experience and why he left. So, yeah, again, I, I think it's twofold because again, like one, that's a completely inappropriate comment, and two, it's not like this guy is Coach K or even uh, Coach White at Florida, where it's like this is a young star in the coaching profession, and you know this guy he has a lot of potential. You see, oftentimes that stuff gets looked by. Like he was there for a while; he had his chance, and then he says something like that. Like, like, what? Like, what are we? What are we doing? I, I, there needs to be an investigation. To me, that, that's what I would be doing right now. I, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. I, you got to be bro. Go ahead. Uh, I was just going to compare it to kind of our situation with the football program. I think you know our athletic director went through a full investigation, and and, and just there were so many players. They came out and said something that that showed how uncomfortable they were, they were, and I think I'm interested in seeing you know what Penn State does to go and research through alums and people who've transferred before, and if they had to experience anything like that, and and if it's a common thing or you know, but you know, like you said, honestly, that's it's just such a poor use of words that maybe just you know if it's it's a you know the the use of that word just in general maybe that's enough to you know kind of put them out of there, but. I think, you know, there definitely has to be an investigation just to see if there's anything, you know, if there's any kind of common theme um, with, with past players and past people who've transferred and anybody who's felt uncomfortable in his program. I think that's definitely, you know, the next step there is they got to figure that out. I think, you know, obviously, you know, I think it should have been a bigger deal when it happened. You know, obviously I, he came out now, but, you know, they, they went through that and they, they talked about it with the administration at that point, but for nobody else to hear about it. It's a little bit surprising with how, you know, dangerous uh, use of words that was. All right. So I, I want to get – what What do you guys think about college basketball right now? Do you, do you have confidence – and I'll start with you, Luca. Do you have confidence that there's going to be a college basketball season this year? You know, obviously nobody really knows right now. There's a lot of uncertainty. Uh, so, you know, I kind of just – it's kind of a wait and see. Some people are back on campus, you know, fortunately – you know, Iowa is back on campus and we're able to do voluntary workouts for right now. And hopefully July 20th, we're going to be able to, you know, work out with our coaches and, and get some good workouts in at that point. But, you know, right now it's, it's a lot of uncertainty. You know, we, 
as players, obviously, just want to uh, to be put in you know the safest position possible. You know, we we don't want to be you know at risk to you know exposing other people or giving you know ourselves the virus. And and, and you know, I think the NCAA has our best interests in mind, but at the same time, it, it's going to be very weird to see you know with with schools deciding whether to bring people on campus, is it you know fair? Is it right for us to be on campus? To, uh, for us to be working out? For us to be playing? Um, and making the NCAA, you know, millions of dollars while, you know, their students aren't even on campus. So that's, you know, a question that needs to be posed. You know, I'm not on either side of it. I'm just very, you know, interested in seeing what the NCAA will do and what will happen. I think, you know, obviously right now, you know, fall sports are more of the priority than us. But, you know, it's going to be interesting to see what happens, you know, here and here in the coming future with, you know, professional sports, but also with football other fall sports. Scotty, you're at Florida. Football reigns supreme at Florida. I know you don't want to admit that, but it does. Um, what What are you thinking right now? Are you Are you concerned that we're not going to have a college basketball season and, and that it's dependent on football? Um, for the most part, I mean, I think all all um, winter and spring and spring sports are kind of going to be determined off of you know the prior season, which is football for us, obviously. So. I've been talking back and forth with the football team, kind of going over their schedule and what they're doing because I'm friends with a lot of those guys. And they're, they're on a strict schedule, just like we would if we were at campus with certain hours in the gym, um, which doesn't really benefit them because obviously they would be able to work out more if they were at home. And it would be the same for us. Um, but, you know, COVID-19 took a hit not only to, like, you know, the sports world, but all over, obviously. So we're, we're all kind of sitting ducks and there's a lot of uncertainty. And we're kind of just waiting to see what happens. It's something new every day that you hear that affects you and you didn't even know. So it's 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 really, really weird. I had a ref, an SEC ref, tell me yesterday after playing that um they hear that they might it might not even be a season. So he asked me, he asked me, like, are you confident that there's gonna be a season? Same question. I'm like, Yeah, I'm pretty confident. He's like, What makes you so sure? And I'm like, Oh, like what did you hear that I'm not hearing? You know, like I'm supposed to get to campus in two and a half weeks. And clearly you have some information that I don't, and I'm a player. So, uh, like I said, we're sitting ducks. Nick, you're – listen, fifth year, you got everybody back at Richmond. I think you, I got you a preseason number 13 in the country. Um, this is your year. I mean, this is something you're coming back, and I know all your guys came back, and you guys all had a chance to, to grad transfer and go somewhere else, but uh, decide to come back to Richmond – and uh, would you sign off right now if I said to you, hey, listen, you could just have a conference year, but non-conference is not going to happen. Uh, would you take that right now and say, all right, you know what, I'm good with it, with all the uncertainty, and let's go? Oh, uh, yeah, I think so. I think that um, – I think for us at the mid-major level, it's a little bit different, though, because, like, the non-conference is such an important part of our schedule that, like, obviously it's about playing the games and all that stuff, and that's cool, but at the same time, like – we feel like we have some really big opportunities. Like we're going to Kentucky. We have some really good game schedule. So to take that away from us. And then if we have a tournament, we get to that point, leave it in the hands of the committee to make that decision based on just conference records. What's that going to be like? So obviously we just want to play the games and that's the most important thing is playing the games. But I mean, our situation, we felt like we had a really good conference season and we were still squarely on the bubble. So our main goals, like one of the reasons we all come, came back is because we felt like we had a really good chance of making the tournament. Um, and part of that is the first couple months of the season. And to, for that to be taken away, that's part of the reason you come back is for the big non-conference games. And 
for the environment and that stuff. So obviously, if it comes down to it, we'll take the games and we'll take as many as we can. But I, it's a, it's a crazy situation, and you want to do what's best to keep yourself safe and to keep your family safe. But um, selfishly, I would like to play as many games as we can. <laughs> we, listen, we all want you to play as many games as possible, but you know it's one of those things where I think we feel like right now the big question is the separation between, let's say, in Iowa and and a uh, low major, and are the same protocols in place for testing, right? Is Iowa going to be comfortable uh, with a team from a low major league coming in that may not have the same testing capabilities? Um, And and the other one is, like for Scotty, you're coming from Florida to to my neck of the woods to Boston, and do you have to quarantine for 14 days before you play? So there's still so many moving parts right now to whether this thing is going to be able to uh, to work and and and, and be able to, to play out, Scotty, I got a question for you. So the NBA changed the um, the deadline; they moved it back. So you could, in, in theory, I know you already made your decision to go back right. to Florida. In theory, you still have a, a window here to decide that you still could put your name in for the draft. Right. Have you thought about that? Is that an option now, or are you? You already made your – I don't want to put you in this spot, but I am. Um, is that something that's gone through your head of, hey, if there's not a college basketball season, kind of like Luca's dealing with right now to some extent, but Luca's already got his name in for the draft. He's got to make a decision by August 3rd whether to withdraw. The NBA, I forget what the deadline is. You have a while until you could decide to put your name in for the draft. Right. I mean, for me, there was a bunch of factors that played on me – um, going back to school, um, after the feedback um, that we received, it was really if I wanted to raise my stock or kind of settle for what um, was given to me. Um, with the COVID nineteen hitting, certain things that would have helped me, uh, you know, raise my stock as far as meeting with GMs, uh, meeting with teams, uh, meeting with you know certain people who put me in a position to raise my stock just through the the social aspect of basketball um, that I you know I kind of thrive in those settings. Um, those are kind of stripped from me. So um, whether it's in May or whether it's in October, those things aren't still available. I'm pretty much working out every day the same that I normally would, um, preparing either for me to end the draft late, um, depending upon the situation that my family and I makes, or um, going back to Florida. So, you know, what I do here at home does isn't really changing. I'm trying to make sure I'm physically and mentally prepared for whatever season. Um, that, that comes my way. Well, listen, I, I appreciate you guys jumping on and, and taking the time um, to spend talking about uh, something that I think is come to the forefront. So important. And we'll continue it. And, and I mean this guys, whatever I can do to help. If you guys think of something else that can be done on a platform um, or whatever it is, let me know. Let me know. I mean, I, I, you know, to me, that's what it's all about right now is, is helping. And um, like I said, I appreciate it. If, if Luca or Scotty, if you have any uh, announcements to make about your, your future right now, uh, I'm all for it. The, the floor is both of yours. Luca, you sure you don't want to do it right now? I'm, I'm good right now. Thank you for asking. Me. <laughs> I got I to gotta try to finish this on a lighter note a little bit. Scotty, you're good. You, you, you're still noncommittal what you're going to do. If you're going to put your name in for the draft or, or, or not, you still got time. 
I'm just, we're just, we're really, really just waiting. We're really, really just waiting. I but, got the Nick. Nick, you're coming back to, everybody's coming back to Richmond, right? Nobody, Nobody's getting poached at this point. You guys are all set there. Everybody's good. Everybody's good. Safe. Good. All right. Well, listen, guys, be safe. Um, I'm glad you guys did this. I, I mean that sincerely. Uh, I thought it was really, really uh, enlightening. Uh, I've learned now to use the word enrichment instead of change. Thank you, Scotty. I appreciate it. And uh, like I said, be safe to everybody. And uh, hopefully we'll see you on the court soon. That, that's that's the hope. It's like, need to see you on the court soon and watch Luca Duncan and shooting threes. Watch Scotty doing a little bit of everything. And, Nick, uh, you and your boys, I think you have a chance to do some special things this year. So, again, good luck to all of you. And uh, and thanks for taking the time. Sure. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you, Scotty. Thank you, Nick. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.